0: Tuesday, September 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris and Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Gentlemen, happy post-Labor Day. Whoa! We're back. Whoa! We are back for for the entire week. Uh, We're going to talk share buybacks. We're going to talk about some movie history that was made over the weekend. But we are going to start with the world of big tech. And that is the fact that there are some big tech events this week. Amazon, Google, and Microsoft all have events planned later in the week. Microsoft and Nokia have an event planned for Wednesday morning, widely expected to be the uh, unveiling of the first Windows 8 phone. Google Mo- I'm holding my breath for that. <laughs> I think we all are. Uh, Google Motorola, also on Wednesday, widely expected to be an upgrade of the Droid Razor phone. And then Amazon on Thursday, expected to be Kindle updates of, of varying degrees. Um, let's just go through them company by company. What is each company need to do? What's sort of the key question that each one of these companies needs to answer as a result of this event? And Joe, we'll just start with Microsoft and Nokia.
1: Sure, it's the least interesting. Uh, I think Microsoft and Nokia, especially Nokia, needs to roll out a phone that absolutely blows away the crowd. Uh, that's going to be tough. I don't think they're going to do it, but it's not just good enough for them to put out a good phone or even a great phone today. There are a lot of great phones on the market. It needs to be something that really stands out, gets people's attention, gets buzz with consumer review sites, but also individual people. People get excited. They see the phone, they think it's slick. I don't think they're going to deliver, though.
0: Well, you say it's the least interesting, but Jason, it seems like of the three companies we're talking about here, I guess five, uh, really, um, they have the most riding on it. I mean, it really seems like, of course, all three of these companies really want to crush it in terms of the unveiling of the product and expectations and that sort of thing, but it really seems like the pressure's on Microsoft and Nokia.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we've there's good reason for that. I mean, we've seen Apple succeed uh, tremendously with the iPhone, and we know that this uh, recent patent litigation, uh, I you know that that really worked out well for Apple, obviously, and and Google continues to get that Android platform out there in in many hands. And so for Microsoft, really, they're sort of sitting back here, figuring where is the market share for us here. And so yeah, they've been really having to push this Windows 8 release and any new smartphones from that from that side of the coin there. And, and so, yeah, I think they have the most riding on it, for sure.
0: And I should mention, Apple is expected to have their event next week. So, we'll, we'll skip them for now. <laughs> yeah. But we, believe me, next week, we'll have plenty to say, I'm sure, on, on Apple's event. Uh, what about Google, Motorola? I mean, I, I say it like they're two companies, obviously, the the acquisition of Motorola. Google Rolla. <laughs> Google Rolla. I like it. Uh, the acquisition's now complete. What, yeah. you know In terms of Google and this rollout? what do you think? What... Uh, Do they also need to sort of um, blow away expectations in terms of this device?
1: It'd be nice, but it's not as make or break as it is for Nokia. In this case, I think it'd be a real win for Google to roll out a very slick Google Google slash Motorola, very slick phone that takes things up a notch. And the buzz is that, and we'll see if they deliver, but the buzz is that the phone they're rolling out is an end-to-end Surface screen. So... With your iPhone, for example, there's a lot of dead space on the front of your phone that's not a screen. Yep. The buzz is that this phone might include that. And I think if it does, that's something that's going to get a lot of play with people. It'd be very interesting. And it would definitely be raising the bar in a very Apple-y way in advance of the iPhone 5 release. Jason, what do you think?
2: It just sounds like no matter which way you look at it, all of these companies are trying to beat Apple to the punch, because we know that next week that's what's coming out here. And so, whether it's Google or or Microsoft or Nokia uh, Motorola wh- whichever way you look at it I think that they all have a lot riding on it as far as producing a phone that not only has a platform that people want to use but a form factor that they're gonna like and the fact of the matter is I think that iPhone a lot of a lot of what the iPhone has that people like is that form factor not to mention the platform itself the the, 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 the Apple platform itself but uh, yeah I mean it's, it's like they're all trying to scramble to, to figure out exactly how to pick up that share that, that Apple's stealing right now
0: and in terms of key questions that companies need to answer. It seems like Amazon one of the key questions anyway was their event. I think for a lot of people it's can they put out a Kindle Fire tablet that is of really high quality because Joe, there were some pretty legitimate and serious questions about yeah. the quality of, of the the
1: Kindle Fire tablet to this point. Yeah, I think they can. And I think you're probably going to see the phones going to be or the tablet is going to be leaner, faster, sharper, sleeker. I mean overall just like the next iteration of the iPad and each one that's rolled along, it's going to be incrementally better. And that's what we expect from consumer electronics. Big thing I'd remember, though, is this tablet's probably going to price at $200. bucks. you are talking about an iPad competing at $500. So, you know, it's easy to get caught up talking about features of tech products because we get excited about that. But people don't just buy the best product available; they buy the best value for them. And I think at $200, the Kindle Fire 2 is going to be extremely competitive.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, we just look at the rumors of the the iPad Mini that may or may not come out at some point. So, say they price that at $300 or $299 or whatever. And Amazon, we know, is going to come out, or we think, is going to come out with these different iterations of the Kindle Fire. They'll probably take this base one that's out now, price it at $149, and then these newer models with you know, added features, whether it's a camera or a sleeker or browser or whatever. You know, those are the ones that price up at one ninety nine, two forty nine, whatever, and they have even a bigger full size tablet that's you know supposed to compete with the regular size iPad. You know, at the end of the day, though, it's still going to be: am I going to necessarily go out now and just buy an iPad Mini? Uh, as opposed to a a Kindle Fire. Well, if I'm buying it for my kid, maybe not. Maybe I don't really want to focus on getting that premium-priced Apple product, for example. And So, yeah, I think Joe makes a great point there about people looking for that value. And to take that one step further, I think that we even see Amazon addressing that with the rumors of this ad-supported Kindle Fire, uh, which would be something that would be extremely affordable for that market segment out there that doesn't really have exposure to tablets whatsoever at this point.
0: Uh, Jason, we also saw Amazon making some news this morning uh, with the fact that they've signed a deal with Epics, which um, uh, previously had an exclusive deal with Netflix uh, to provide uh, content. Um, now they've got a deal with Amazon as well. And as a result of the fact that you know it's no longer an exclusive deal, we're seeing Netflix stock. I mean, Amazon stock really isn't moving today, but Netflix stock down about 8%. As a result of the fact that all of a sudden now Amazon has this uh, partner as well.
2: Yeah, it's not necessarily new news. I mean, you're right. Um, uh, Netflix did get this out there earlier. I think they're they're talking out of, out of both sides of their mouth a little bit on this one because when they initially signed this agreement with with Epics, they they lauded it as a very you know big step forward in their streaming catalog and in their business model. And now that it's come to expire and this content is is available on other platforms, they're saying, oh well, it's not such a big deal. And I mean, I think the fact of the matter is it is a big deal because Netflix is advantage used to be the DVDs by mail. They ruled that space. They really owned it. Uh, but now with streaming, we're seeing a much more level playing field where uh, companies with deeper pockets can go in there and bid up more content. And yeah, Amazon's, at this point, Amazon's uh, streaming library is not the same as Netflix. It's not as big, but they are addressing this. It seems like every month or so we're hearing of a new deal and adding more content. And as a prime streaming customer, I mean, I, I can attest to the fact that it's you know doing pretty well, I mean it's got the stuff that we're looking to watch it's the same basic content t v shows series stuff like that, some movies sprinkled in here and there, so yeah, I think it's definitely we're just going to see competition ramp up in the streaming space
0: Joe, one of the things we've talked about in the past is how the the lines of competition, which at one point in time uh, were pretty clear, seem to be increasingly blurred uh, as time goes on. And it seems like by the end of this week, after these events, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, we could be looking at a situation where depending on what Amazon in particular has to say, Amazon could end up being more of a competitor of Apple than they were at least a couple of years ago. Do you, do you think that am I am I insane? No, to yeah, think you're, that?
1: you're totally on the mark of both on tablets and content ecosystems. And where I think Amazon is very dangerous to Apple is around price, and it has to do with fundamentally different approaches to the model. Uh, Apple has a content ecosystem to support making money selling hardware. Amazon has hardware sales that they sell at break even or a slight loss to make money selling content and other goods. One of those is very dangerous, and it's the latter. And the reason is that Amazon can go out and very competitively price their products because they make the money on the back end, but Apple can't do that. It's in the exact opposite position. And because of that, I think they're really going to struggle on pricing and talking for, uh, maybe that's just me, um, over the next couple quarters.
2: Jason, I was reading a statistic here the other day, which was interesting. It depends on how you look at this, but at, at this point, at the end of the second quarter, Apple held a global market share in the tablet space of about seventy percent versus Amazon, somewhere in the neighborhood of four and a half percent. And so, you can either look at that one of two ways. You can think, well, Apple's just ruling the space, and they're the they're the dominant. You know, player in the space, or you can say, well, that means there's still a lot of share there that Amazon can try to pick up, and I think it is going to be the latter there that Amazon's going to get in here and really try to get more of that share because they do know that if they can, they can get that tablet in there at just a break-even cost or even a loss because they have that dynamic model where they're just going to continue to sell content, whether it's digital content, whether it's retail goods, whatever. You know, so they have a, a lot of different ways they can make their money.
0: All right. We will obviously talk more later in the week as these events unfold. But just for investors out there, obviously, we're talking about big companies with a lot going on, other divisions. What is one thing that you're watching at any of these companies, Microsoft, Google, or Amazon, that has nothing to do with the events this week? It could be a metric. It could be another business division. It could be the promise of something in the future. What's one thing you're watching,
1: Joe? Uh, My my Amazon fantasy is an Amazon TV. I know everyone keeps talking about an Apple TV for the reasons that you know we all love Apple products. We think there's a good integration between the iTunes Store and the App Store and a television. But I think TV, as I've said on the show before, is a terrible space for Apple. Uh, It's a brutally competitive market. The first television was sold in America 74 years ago, so it's a pretty mature industry. There's a lot of competition. Why bother? amazon though could come in and sell televisions at cost and make it up with pre-installing prime on your tv ad support and integrating amazon shopping into the experience and i think they'll eventually get there it's not going to happen overnight but i do think that's a really compelling product offering from them that's going to sneak up on people jason what about you
2: so Google makes about ninety five or so percent of their revenues from ads, and and so we follow the cost per click and the number of clicks in sort of seeing how that revenue is going to grow. But I, I saw you know an interesting statistic here of the last quarter where uh, their Chrome browser has has grown from about one hundred and sixty million last May to over three hundred million users now. And whether you're using a PC platform or your iPhone or iPad, uh, that Google Chrome browser is very effective. It's, it's a good tool. It works really well. And so I'm going to be interested to see how that number of Chrome users continues to grow, uh, because I think that will be integral in keeping people in that Google environment.
0: You, you can always drop us an email. Radio at com is the way to get a hold of us. Email from Tom Burning. He writes, I'm a regular listener and new investor. Can you explain what becomes of the shares purchased during a company's share buyback do they go away forever or do they reappear
1: at a later date good question Joe what do you what? teleportation tells involved <laughs> uh, ultimately they're acquired and the short version is they're retired so basically they're effectively gone and disappear which means that the existing or the remaining owners of the business have a greater stake in the assets of the business and the future earnings of the company. That's the short version.
0: So they so company X spends says we're going to spend a billion dollars on share buybacks. Obviously, that that moves off of their balance sheet.
1: Right, the cash moves out, and ultimately, what happens is the shares come back onto the balance sheet, and then they're ultimately retired. Um, Yeah. It's more or less accounting treatments, but it's pretty unusual where you see a company acquire or go out and buy back a lot of shares and the share count somehow end up reversing back the other way. Because usually companies that are, well, I guess you've got two types of share buybacks. You've got uh, tech companies that are using share buybacks as ways to sop up stock options. Mm -hmm. And in that case, they're kind of serial acquirers and they don't necessarily pay a good price. They just go out and pay whatever they need to to sop up all those options that they're putting out. And then you have companies like uh, a Coca-Cola or J&J. They're in kind of perpetual buyback mode where they spin off a ton of cash and they'll go out and be relatively opportunistic about buying back big gobs of stock.
0: Jason, we've talked before. A lot of companies get this wrong, and yet, when you look at the stock market, there you know there are companies that do it right, and there are frankly stocks that are trading at cheap valuations. There are. When you look at the universe of stocks out there, is there a company that you look at and say, "Boy, they should really think about buying back some of their stock"?
2: Yeah, there's one that comes to mind that I was looking at earlier, and what what I like to see is number one they're buying back the shares at a reasonable valuation. But then I also want to see on the balance sheet that the share count is falling. Uh, Because if it's not, then like Joe was saying, they're pretty much just offsetting options or some other type of dilution. Uh, But Coach is an example of a company that has done a really good job over the past five years or so. Uh, They've brought their share count down about 25%, uh, so their share buybacks have been effective. Uh, Right now, the stock took a little bit of of a hit here with the last earnings call because they you know they referred to 2013 as an investment year for the company. And apparently Wall Street didn't (laughs) like that so much, Chris. But what it's done is it's kicked the stock down about 14 times of forward earnings, which historically speaking is a very low multiple for a a brand that that generates a lot of play in in a stock that trades typically much higher multiples. So I expect that we will see management buying back more shares of Coach here in the near future. And I would applaud that.
1: Joe, what about you? AIG, baby. (laughs) No, I love it. They're, They're buying back tons of shares, buying back at a 40% discount to book value. And I think over the next three to five years, AIG is going to get back to where they're earning returns on equity in the neighborhood of their cost of equity, which when you cut through all the jargon ultimately means stocks should sell around book value. So I think in the interim, they can keep buying back loads of stock at a big discount to that. That's a great long-term move for shareholders.
0: And finally, guys, film history was made over the weekend. A children's movie entitled The Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure had the worst wide-release opening in box office history. It opened in over 2,100 theaters. It grossed just $445,000, which means basically, I don't know, 17 people per theater. Was this theater. the Boogie
1: night sequel?
0: <laughs> it probably would have made more money if it was the Boogie Night sequel. No, this was, uh, th- this was probably, this is one of those things that I think now people can look back on and go, oh, that's how we should have known. Uh, I was reading an article today that, you know, the, uh, movies come out and they have their posters and they're, they're touting either their stars or brought to you by the director who, you know, from this movie, that sort of thing. The promotion for this movie was um, that this was the film that the marketing visionary who brought you Teletubbies <laughs> and Thomas the Tank Engine. The visionary, the mar- No, not just the visionary, the marketing visionary. The marketing visionary. Uh, we were talking before we started t- taping, Jason. There, there may be a, a save here for these people. This is an independent film. There may be a way. Like, if you're an independent, if you're, a, if you run a theater, maybe a midnight showing for the college kids in town.
2: I thought that was a stellar idea on your part, and I think that's about the only out this thing has because Oogie, what is it? Oogie loves the Oogie loves the Oogie and the Oogie Big Balloon Adventure. I, mean, I just, wow, you know. I, I saw saw the
0: preview for it uh, before one of the films I was with uh, this summer. I was with my kids and saw a preview for it and couldn't believe that it was actually a movie until about halfway through the trailer. I'm like, oh, no, wait, it actually is a
2: movie. Um, So I think when you see this type of content, I mean, I know we're always here pumping Disney and their performance in in movies and entertainment and Pixar and and how well they make these movies. There really is something behind that because then you see just – a total POS like this come out. And it, you know, it, it is obviously, it should not have been put out. But what I thought was amazing was I read where this guy said, ah, well, you know, we're not so worried about the press that it's generated. Because really, the movie was just a setup to generate movies for for, for these characters in the future. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, aren't you taking the hint here? Because apparently people don't want to see these characters. So I know. know. I can't to wait to them. see
1: the sequels and the spinoffs. Um, Jason, we were
0: talking earlier. I, I didn't take my kids to see this movie. They, they had no interest. You, you didn't even, nope. I think, know about this movie. That's what a great job the marketing visionary did. Um, so we're putting the call out to our listeners. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. We want to know if you saw the movie, but we're guessing you didn't because only about you know 40 people across America saw this movie. But do you know, we're going to play a little six degrees of separation here. <laughs> do you know anyone who saw this movie? Do you know a guy who knows a guy who works with a guy who took his kids to see this movie? My bet is no. But if you know someone, we want to know about it. Radio at Fool.com. Drop us an email. Jason Moser, Joe Maker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. You know, my Amazon fantasy involves Wonder Woman, but that's just me. (laughs) It doesn't involve a television. That's all I'm going to say.